Welcome back to Trending in Education. Brandon Jones, Michael Palmer, and myself, Dan Strafford, and it's Episode two of our deep dive into the Mary Meeker Internet Trends Report in 2019, focusing mostly on education this time around, but I always want to check in with Brandon and Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good. It, we're, if we're talking Mary Meeker, I'm, I'm, I'm doing mighty fine. And uh, if we're talking about Mary Meeker's takes on learning and education, uh, all the better. So uh, I think we did a nice appetizer uh, and now I'm ready to lean into the main course. One of the great things I think in your conversation with Brandon and yourself was that you uh, also showed that education's throughout the entire you know, report, but we're going to hone in on slides two, 233 and beyond where she specifically talks about uh, online learning and the more we'll, we'll talk about more slides along the way as well. Brandon, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, plus one to what Mike said. Uh, I'm a guy who works at a company that has Google. So I say things like plus one. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. It's not really in the vernacular in real life. Mm -mm. Uh, I just mean, <laughs> I agree because <laughs> it's too hard, too long and too, too uh, so all of human history before Google to say I agree. Um, just as a, a, a PSA-friendly reminder, uh, uh, two things. One, we did, as Dan said, uh, record a previous pod on the Meek Report. So if you haven't given that a listen, do so either before or after. I think you don't have to have listened to that. That's intended as context setting for the broader uh, trend review before we go deep on education, but you can give it a listen to afterwards. Um, oh, also, since Dan, you said uh, slide 233, which is I think where we will be starting here. Reminder to, if you haven't looked at the slides, downloaded the slides, grab them. Um, and if you can't do it while you're listening or while you did before, try to, try to take a look at it. Uh, I, I strongly recommend it. I think we gave a pretty frothy uh, recommendation for folks to, uh, to go and spend some time with it last time. I would say plus one to that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, uh, maybe even frothier this time. Fr the frothier, because there's only two. It's only comparative, not superlative. So yes, this will be even frothier. You're right. Um, but uh, to, uh, grab it if you, can, if you can have it with you as a companion while you're listening. Great. If not, uh, give, it a, give it a look. Lots of data points in here about education as the point before and what you, you all said during the first recording of it's throughout the report. It's not just the slides that deal with education or education adjacent uh, properties. Now, Mike, we, we go through this, uh, I think, third year running now, seeing what she's saying about the Internet, what she's saying about technology, what she's saying about education. At top of mind, uh, what jumped out at you? What, what in these next few or dozen slides or so, or even more, what was the, the big topic? What was the big takeaway for you? And where do you want the conversation to go around the Meeker report and what she's seeing in the education space? Yeah, to me, it, it's very much a reaction against uh, the, the idea that MOOCs came and went and failed. Like if anything, uh, MOOCs and uh, online program management uh, programs, uh, so like to you and others, are very much the future of higher education. Uh, so uh, that's something we've talked about in a number of different modes and uh, angles in on this show. And uh, it's nice to see it become so prominently uh, a topic for uh, a big internet trends report, you know, like a a good chunk of the 330 uh, slides. So So maybe a tenth of the slides or so are on uh, learning and education. And then as we talked uh, last time, you know, I think all the other slides do still have deep implications to the world of learning and the world of education. 
But, um, but there's a lot of stuff here about um, how, uh, you know, we talk about the Gartner hype cycle as it relates to online education, as it relates to MOOCs. Um, and, uh, you know, 2012 was famously the year of the MOOC. Uh, and then not much happened in the intervening years. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, slides within the Meeker report. We can pull up a, a few of them to refer to, but uh, they're basically, see you're seeing an increased trend towards online post-secondary education and online program management is emerging as a really viable business model, like helping uh, educational institutions, higher ed uni uh, universities, figure out how to move their programs online. Um, I think that's something that will continue to be a macro trend. Like I, I think the world will continue to move digital, higher ed will increasingly move online, and uh, that won't be done exclusively through the universities themselves. I think it's gonna be increasingly uh, a private-public uh, partnership in the case of public universities and then private universities as well, I think will increasingly find a need to connect outside of themselves uh, to grow their online presence. Um, so that was the one, that was probably the big ticket item that seemed most relevant uh, to the, the themes that we talk about regularly on the show, but, but there's plenty of other stuff uh, to cover as well. Lots to, to dig into. Brendan, how about yourself? Yeah, uh, one thing that uh, that just jumps out, just paging through the deck, and it's not true just in the education section, but there's a lot of graphs that look the same. It's just yeah. like the explosive growth up into the right graphs. Um, you know, I think that's uh, bully for for all of those outfits that are outlined here. Um, it is it is interesting that um, how companies can. Uh, commercialize those uh, the activity on their platforms. I think it's something that's still going to be interesting. So we she has a lot of the the Meek report is dedicated to e-commerce mm -hmm. and then sort of breaks out separately um, uh, education. And I think that the intersection of those two things is going to be really important for the future, right? So uh, I think you're right, Mike, in saying that there's this sort of mythology that MOOCs have come and gone, and in fact from this report and, and what we've been talking about, I, I think that um, we're just moving in the hype cycle uh, and they're coming out of the trough mm -hmm. uh, and it's gonna be really important for the future. Uh, I think if you extend that beyond just traditional MOOCs of you know Coursera or uh, edX or whatever, um, there are all of these other players in online education. So whether that's something like Quizlet or that's something like um, Chegg, or mm -hmm. that's in China, VIP Kid, and all three of those are profiled here yep. uh, in these uh, in these slides. Um, how those outfits can commercialize so they can be ongoing concerns, mm -hmm. and it doesn't just need to be continual rounds of VC or P funding. Yep, is I think it's going to be a real big question. So the intersection of those two things, to me, I think, is where the next ten years. Uh, I, I hope there is some interesting resolution there. Yeah, I, I like where you're going too, because lots of times the what what the report focused on was 2x to 4x growth within the last one to three or four years. So it's all about growth, but the growth tends to be more number of learners, uh, num number of people who are listening to podcasts, you know, like all the sort of adoption metrics, but not really the monetization metrics as much. So I think you're right that that's an interesting area to focus on. And it's also, you know, uh, Mary Meeker and team really uh, cut their teeth in Silicon Valley, which is all about 
where does the venture capital go? The venture capital will be chasing the adoption. Uh, and then the expectation is that if you get this many learners, this many eyeballs, impressions, ear, ear learn holes, uh, that the monetization will eventually follow. But I, I think you're right. A lot of that commercialization is going to be um, really where the rubber meets the road. And it's not going to all be uh, rip-roaring uh, hockey stick growth in that scenario. I think it's going to be a lot more experimentation. Uh, and then also the interesting related point is that Education is a social good. Uh, so if you have this many learners on your platform, even if you're not monetizing it, uh, I think frequently you will get further funding. Like you're gonna get more rope, I would think, if you are solving these um, sort of fundamental social problems that are anticipated in the next, say, five to 10 years too. Like when we're expecting the workforce to get disrupted to the level that we are anticipating. Um, Obviously, that'll probably be commercialized. So I think we're at sort of like a chicken egg uh, phenomenon here. But um, but it is interesting to look at the commercialization of uh, a social good like education and learning, um, even if it's not as hu enormously profitable. It'll still likely get further funding, and people can uh, you know build career paths and businesses in this space uh just because i think education is a little different from the broader internet yeah i i think that's I and mean, that's right i think that there's there's this area just having been to you know gs asu gsv a few times um these uh sort of educate ed tech darlings are now 10 years old in many cases yep and so, you know, v, VC venture capitalist firms are expecting some kind of exit yep. on their investment because there's a, a time at which, um, I, and I, I think the sort of social uh, service um, of, of education is one that you can bump up against this where maybe the funding source is going to be either philanthropic or it's going to be, um, you know, government driven. Right. And that's possible. Like the way that you can provide, in theory, free college for everyone, which mm -hmm. is a political platform, is through online. Like right. it's a lot easier, cheaper to do online. Mm -hmm. If funding comes from that, then that solves the issue. But right. Right. if it's going to be privately funded, you know, through VC, PE firms, like mm -hmm. that's uh, at some point the, there there is going to need to be a payback for those guys and gals, or those guys and gals will take their monies elsewhere. Right. So right. I think you can get a lot of rope, but I, we're we're in the the next five-ish yep. years, I think, are where the, you know, the investment from a half decade ago, you'd expect to be getting paid out on that. And I think it's still a little TBD. So if not for VC monies, mm -hmm. I, I hope that um, there are other funding sources because I think that there's a lot of these uh, outfits that are profiled here and, and other smaller names that could be in the future bigger names are really trying to solve interesting problems. Yeah. And the problem of education is we've talked about this a lot on this pod, you know, that, that is one of the, uh, you know, transformative powers, transformative areas in the world. So let's hope that resources keep pouring in. I think it's going to be interesting to see how and, and from whom. Yeah, and I didn't see it. I think it's a really good point around uh, the private equity venture funding versus, uh, you know, large uh, philanthropic concerns like uh, Chan Zuckerberg, Gates Foundation, uh, you know, other governmental NGOs as well uh, who, are, who are in this space. How much of it should be uh, 
tied to a for-profit versus not-for-profit um, and also which segment of the learning universe uh, will see the greatest return is another interesting one where, um, you know, we saw, I think we'll share out, uh, you know, 33 online education questions raised by the Meeker report uh, out of, um, by Joshua Kim at uh, the Inside Higher Ed. Really good article, really interesting, focused more uh, primarily on higher education it is interesting to think about the future of learning and talent, which is the one that also really jumps out to me out of this report and a lot of the other, uh, you know, whole on IQ and some of the other reports that we've been looking at. That industry is just going to, I think it's going to be enter a boom, if not, if we're not already in that boom, where the need to which uh, large, large enterprises are going to need to continue to uh, upskill and reskill their workforces while we're seeing the you know the at the real the maturation of AI, um, I think that space is going to be hugely relevant, and it does look like at least Coursera is finding more uh, product market fit and traction going after enterprises with uh, you know university level uh, curricula. That intersection between you know the the curriculum and curricula and educational. Uh, content that used to be delivered exclusively through higher education now being opened up to uh, enterprises who are trying to reskill and retool their workforces. Um, I did see a lot of upside in the report and uh, that just seems like, again, one of the macro trends that to me is why, that's part of why I'm a little bullish on the MOOCs renaissance that we're starting to see. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to chew on. Absolutely. And I think the private public uh, that you mentioned earlier, Mike, is something we can come back to. But Brandon, I wanted to uh, get your take on what I thought was an interesting first slide. And I, I wonder if we're always going to have to set the context of the cost of education to discuss education. Is that always going to be the first thing we need to discuss the you know, gigantic uh, slant up and how much it's costing for secondary education and, and where the cost and where the payment is coming from? I think yes. And if you're asking me, you did ask me. And so listeners, you have to listen to me answer a question that was posed directly to me. I think the answer is yes. I mean, things cost money, right? And in the world, like things cost money. And turns out, guess what? Things cost more money over time because whether it's faculty or services or whatever on a specific, particularly on a traditional bricks and mortar uh, campus, um, want to get paid more and things cost more. And so it's more. Um, so I think, yes, that is, uh, we always are going to end up grounding it in money. I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that the, the realities of operating an operating budget force, force innovation. Um, I mean, I, I can speak to what's, what I've experienced here, mm -hmm. even at uh, Kaplan, like you, you end up having to make decisions based on the realities of the business that you're in. And I think the no, is no it's no different for the business of higher ed. Mm -hmm. So um, on this first slide, it's slide 235, uh, at least the one that I'm looking at here. Um, tuition's gone way up. You can imagine tuition going way up and not student loan debt also going way up, right? If let's say it cost the same, but there was an increased offset from uh, governments or philanthropics or NGOs or whatever, you could have the cost of an education go up, but not be borne by the student. Mm -hmm. And then I think like students would say, I don't actually care how much this costs. I mean, air quotes here, as long as it's not costing me all this money in a crippling debt. Like the, I think that um, Joshua Kim says this, so I may be 
cribbing from his words, but um, does this slide scare everybody? Yeah. Uh, it scares me. So the student loan debt, we've added uh, about a trillion, a little more than a trillion dollars just eyeballing this year or 3X or 4X it from what it was just a decade and a half ago. Um, that's going to come back and bite somebody, mm -hmm. either the providers of that debt who aren't going to be paid. Mm -hmm. That's what I would bet on. Or the whole generation of students who have just an amount of debt that is unlike any other generation before them uh, without jobs that are compensating them accordingly uh, to show for it. So I think that's, yes, that's the short answer. I just gave you the longer answer. I, I think it's going to be, this is going to drive a lot of what's, what's in the rest of the deck and the conversation. Yeah, and, and just to build on that, I think to me that argues for the next 10 years being a time where some of these some of these trend lines are really unsustainable. And if you hear, like if you list, you know, universal, free, public uh, education, higher ed, um, sounds like a crazy idea until you start digging into some of these numbers and you're like, you know, this in some ways is the biggest um, fiscal problem we have as a society since the subprime, uh, you know, loan crisis, mortgage crisis that really caused the, the the big recession uh, 10 years ago we're kind of setting up for something pretty profound having to change and the interesting thing uh to me about seeing this in, in the context of the mika report is that the solution to the problem is to go online you know like the the unit economics are are much better uh to to serve additional learners through online education uh, it's easier through philanthropic sort, you know, funding to create more uh, genuinely social good content that uh, doesn't cost as much to create. Sal Khan's a great example, you know, like he was able to, to launch the Khan Academy, just one guy, even though he's a lot bigger than that now. Um, I mean, he's still just one guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's not huge no. as, as a gentleman either. <laughs> but uh, But it is like, you know, like, Trying to, it's, you know, we talked about uh, Malthus and Malthusian equations back in the day. Uh, good one to, to dig back into the back catalog to hear, hear us talk about that. But Thomas Malthus was, uh, you know, an, an economist back in the, you know, I guess, the 18th, 18th 19th century, uh, who talked about if we continue to see population grow at the rate that it grows, very soon we're going to run out of food and everyone's going to starve. And, uh, and then ad absurdum, the world is then uh, covered by uh, by crazy stuff uh, by the population growth, but like it does look like if we were to extrapolate all these graphs, let's say for the next ten years, we'd be in a pretty dire dire position where you know uh, higher ed would be charging this enormous premium. Students would be taking on more and more loans, and I think we'd all be in a very dangerous position unless we had something like uh, a scalable online educational uh, option available to us, which in fact we do have. So like that kind of, that's what tied me back to that first point that I was making at the, at the top of the show. Um, I think all this stuff is, is indicating that the traditional higher ed model of, you know, very expensive, uh, send send a child away to school, spend four years there, they take on loan because everybody needs a college degree. I think that 
model will be will still be there, but I think its its primacy is going to be seriously questioned. Uh, I think it already is beginning to be questioned, but I imagine that that will continue and probably increase in the next uh, 10 years. And uh, I do think that time horizon, uh, like thinking about where we'll be by 2025 or 2030 as something that we've started to think about, um, it definitely was striking me more as by the time I got to the Mika report that, uh, you know, it's looking at just, you know, trends for this year, or the past couple years, but you start to look further out. Um, it does feel like we're heading into a, a very disruptive, um, hopefully positively disruptive, but right. disruptive nonetheless, uh, phase for, for higher education in particular. You see the downtrend in offline learners or brick and mortar learners happening. And I think to your point before, Mike, you start to see the trend for the universities, they have to seek students, right? If the students aren't coming to them, they are now partnering with the Coursera's of the world to offer things to more students uh, that across the country or across the world. And we'll see that trend continue as more people look for cost savings, look for a better education. And I think, Mike, and, and wonder your thoughts on this, the specialized learning, right? Maybe it's not getting the Bachelor of Arts anymore, but it's getting, uh, you see in the report, a lot of data science. Uh, you see a lot of specific tasks and specific roles uh, or mic what used to be considered micro -creden credentials uh, popping up here. Do you think those things go hand in hand that we're gonna see more online and more targeted learning? Uh, that will be a trend that will continue off of what Meeker's talking about here? I think it's gonna have to. I mean, like the, the fact that uh, even an associate's degree takes two years. Um, that cycle time is long nowadays. Like that used to be like, oh, two years. You know, it takes takes you two years to get an associate's degree, four years to get an undergraduate degree. Um, entire domains are being disrupted in those windows of time. So like what you call data science in 2019 is likely to be very different from what we'll call data science in 2023. And only the most... Um, sort of uh, futuristic, uh, innovative, higher uh, ed concerns right now are even launching their own data science programs. Like they're still, you know, the, the institution of, of higher education is very much about being an institution and sort of maintaining some continuity there. Um, I think that's going to bump right up against the need to upskill, reskill, pivot fast. And um, I think some of it will happen within higher ed, but I think increasingly a lot of it is going to happen outside of higher ed, uh, which is why I, I, I do see the partnership between um, universities and uh, online education uh, companies to become increasingly relevant to the universities themselves. I think right. they need other revenue streams, other ways to maintain relevance, and I think that will be found by partnering with the companies that are delivering these sort of more atomic micro-credentials uh, to their workforces. What'll be interesting is trying to understand how, how uh, accreditation and, um, you know, just regulation governance of uh, academic credentials uh, and certifications are going to look in the next 10 years, because I, I imagine that's another area that's going to uh, open up to, um, to some more questions. Absolutely. And I think the partnerships make a lot of sense where you have a platform like a Udemy or Coursera and you have universities that have this content knowledge and uh, they partner together to create these courses. Uh, interested to see how some of these brick and mortar schools content plays online. Like, can they make that transition and make it 
in a timely fashion. Now, Brandon, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the platforms here. We see education platforms uh, to you, Udemy, you see uh, Coursera clearly, but we also see some slides on YouTube and YouTube education. And so we have sort of two different approaches here on where content and where people are going to learn. Do you see difference or stark differences between YouTube education and the Coursera's of the world? Or do you think these are becoming more and more similar as growth happens? Yeah, we talked a little, a little bit about this on the, the pod uh, episode one. Um, uh, it's a good question. I, I, I think that if, if you ask someone at Google or someone at YouTube, I think they would say, oh, come to YouTube, baby. It's the same. It's just free. Uh, I, I think we, there's, there is a question around efficacy that that's the part that we touch on. I think it's interesting is, is this all going to work? Ostensibly, you think about what the job to be done is. If the job to be done of a credential is to indicate to an employer or to a institute of higher than that learning that this person is ready for their next step in their career, um, then that credential should demonstrate that that person has done some, you know, the requisite amount of work. If you can go through whether it's a Coursera course or a YouTube set of videos and not actually learn something, but still get that credential, then that credential at some point will stop carrying that weight and we're going to be back where we, you know, are in the first place, right? So I, and I don't know. I mean, I, I've spent a long time in, in this space here and learning is hard. I mean, that's, I think, zone of proximal development. Um, it, it's, just, it's just hard. And so I, I'm, I'm not sure that YouTube, I, I think it's interesting. I think YouTube should absolutely make a big play around being the next educational platform for the world mm -hmm. because it has, if you go to slide 251, it's got, you know, 4.5 billion with the B hours of not viewership of how to viewership specifically how to X uh -huh. and that's education of a sort, right? Sure. Um, got uh, 59% of Gen Zers saying that, that YouTube is the preferred learning tool. Uh, I don't know if it's singular preferred, but, or a preferred, but they've got a, they've got a chance. Now, if there aren't assessments, if there aren't uh, ways to sort of stitch together videos into a curated experience that helps a student learn, I think it's gonna be probably, it's gonna fall a little flat on the learning side. And again, like the neck bones connected to the whatever other bone, um, I don't know anatomy well, uh, but like these things all have to go together, right? So like if, if the learning experience doesn't produce the learning, then it shouldn't produce the credential that signals that someone is ready to move on to what's next in that track. Mm -hmm. um, so all that ties together. I do think YouTube, as I said, like good on you, Tube. Uh, you've got a real, there is a real opportunity to think about how you construct that in a way that changes the face of education forever. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not, it's not easy. It's not simple. Learning is hard. Trying to figure out how to make this work is hard. Yeah. And the primary one last thing, the primary job to be done for YouTube is not actually to provide education. Now, maybe there's going to be a subset of YouTube that, that eventually will be, but the primary job of YouTube is to make money for Google, right? So is to keep people's eyeballs there so that they can monetize those eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's more fun than, you know, Coursera length videos uh, is um, really confectionery stuff. 
you know, real short stuff. Um, so anyway, I think it's, it's interesting. I think this is a, a trend that we all are going to be partic- participating in, not just spotting. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see where it goes. I uh, want to be mindful of time here on this uh, second episode on Meeker Mike. Uh, there is tons still here that we who's haven't touched me- on. Who's Meeker Mike though first? There is a, a pause <laughs> that was supposed to be in there. Me- Meeker comma Mike. Uh, anything, the rest of the slides or any takeaways that you want to dive into before we, we do start to close out the podcast? Uh, I love that she got in a couple of digs on the, the death of text. Uh, so like how important images are and how in some ways the written word was a diversion, uh, which I think was somewhat intentionally uh, provocative in its thinking, but it is very consistent with my consumption of media these days where increasingly it's, it's media not reading with my eyes. Uh, and then if I am using my eyes, it's more to get uh, pictorial data or really like beautifully produced uh, infographics or, uh, you know, we, we're, we're all clearly Game of Thrones fans on the show. So like other like more cinematic uh, visual experiences. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, like uh, Twitter increasingly is becoming pictorial. Uh, you know, obviously YouTube is a pictorial uh, visual medium. Um, I thought that was an interesting moment uh, to reflect a little bit about how much of our educational system is designed around being able to generate and consume textual data. And uh, it's another one of those points about like, does pedagogy evolve as quickly as the world around it? Um, like, I don't know how much we are educating the, the rising generations or even uh, the aging workforce around how to be compelling in visual media these days. Um, I thought that was really interesting and it does raise some questions just around, you know, reading comprehension versus uh, critical takes on media. Um, I I still think there's some benefit to the discipline of learning these formats. You know, we we had a show a couple weeks ago talking about the importance of handwritten notes and, um, you know, you don't, there's uh, increased concern that the the rising generation is doesn't know how to use uh, pens and pencils as much anymore because they're not doing the, so, so yeah. like, I think there's a little bit of discipline and, you know, team old school to my thinking. Um, but at the same time, it, it's, it's really striking to see the transformation of these formats. And uh, I consume it myself. Like for me, like tweets that don't come with uh, a snazzy little gif, uh, I have a harder time paying attention to. And uh, I think that's interesting. And it also, speaks to your confectionery point too, where like you almost need to put a little visual icing on something of substance. Otherwise you're not going to earn the audience's attention. I think that's, that's spot on and profound. And I don't think we're going to cover it in depth right now, but I definitely wanted to make sure our listeners heard that uh, and, uh, and are being thoughtful about it as they think about, uh, you know, the future of education. We got from Mary Meeker to Mary Poppins on the same pod there. Uh, I, had, I had two other things, Dan, just to just grab bag. They're not related, so they're related only in as much as they're in the same grab bag here. Um, one is on slide 237. The, um, the dip, and this is just a demo thing, a demographics thing probably, but the dip in post-secondary education enrollments, um, which was on just a cra- – and this is the U.S.-based – just a crazy – 
increased compound annual growth rate from the 70s earliest uh, uh, shown here through um, like maybe 2010. Uh, I don't know what that growth rate is, but it's, it's all close to double digits mm -hmm. and it's been dipping since. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So I just, I thought I'd, I just thought I'd say that's interesting. When you think about the trends that are defining education mm -hmm. in the U S post-secondary education over the last 40 years, we've been moving up into the right. It's been like this graph or, or, or the post-secondary in education enrollments graph could have made the Mika report just for its growth, like as like a Coursera or Quizlet style company, right. but for the last half decade, which is I think interesting. And just real piling on real quick on that too, like that may run counter to some other population trends that we're seeing too, where like the younger generations are larger. So like, that'd be an interesting next step. Like, are we seeing a decline in post-secondary enrollments while that generation is actually large? or larger, like right. Gen Z's coming and, or they're already beginning to enter uh, post-secondary uh, education and they're the biggest generation, uh, you know, in the last hundred years. Yeah, I wonder if it's like just 2009 recession mm -hmm. base mm -hmm. that just like, just knocked some people out of, mm -hmm. they couldn't afford to go to school and then they never got a job that yep. required them to go back to school and dan dan. Um, and then the last, uh, the last thing is on slide 256 is the, Completion rate for Coursera courses. I'm just going to say I don't. I don't believe this slide. I mean, it's so you know the the sort of popular belief is that the the, the con completion rate is very low. I've heard two percent is the yeah. number that's sort of in my walking around head. It's four percent for unpaid learners, uh, but it's high. It's it's uh, fifty percent for paid learners. For a degree consumer, it's eighty nine percent completion rate. That number. I mean, I don't know what the matriculation rate is in a four-year college where you're paying more to get the same thing. I can't believe that we are graduating students at an 89% rate. That, that, seems, that seems way high. I guess it's just at the course level. So, you know. Doesn't the, I guess. Yeah, maybe at the course level. But don't, don't people not complete their courses? Doesn't that happen all the time? For sure. Anyway, not according to this slide. Right. Uh, but uh, I think this is beyond the shade that I'm throwing here. I think this is an interesting um, – uh, and the source is Coursera. So like, they're like, uh, again, I, I think I've said this before when you're in the business of reporting the statistics, the numerators and denominators are all, it's all important. You're like, eh, can we, can we do some of that denominator? Um, but all joking aside, I think it is interesting. I think people, I'm not sure how much, how many people in their walking around headspace are thinking about MOOCs, but those who are probably thinking about Coursera and those who are probably thinking completion rate is like, de minimis. It's like, yeah. look, 2%, 1%, whatever it is. Right. That's not true for people who have some skin in the game. Yes. So back to the beginning of the conversation around um, where is this going and what might future sources of funding be? It, imagine if you had the, the delivery capabilities that we have today, a funding source that made it, you know, uh, uh, free-ish or cheap enough for students, credentials that made it worth it, you shouldn't be thinking you're going to get a 2% completion rate. It could be 50 or 90%. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really good. And that's a, a thing that hopefully people who have that mindset that I just articulated can reframe a little bit. And, and just real quick on that too, like the, the idea of requiring skin in the game as a way to drive completion is another interesting idea. Cause I think folks have talked at length about the disruptive power of uh, free learning assets, or you can go to YouTube and find everything 
but without the motivation of I've now invested in my future, I now have skin in the game and now it's being delivered to me in a very intentional way, it's hard to finish. So uh, I think that's an interesting counterpoint to the race to the bottom around free, uh, a little bit of skin in the game on the end of the, on the, the side of either the learner or the enterprise does seem to drive completion, which makes sense, but we don't always talk about it that way where we say everything's going to be free and everyone's just going to be, you know, swimming in free education. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think there'll probably need to be some, getting back to your point about around commercialization, I think there'll need to be new models that, uh, really kind of lock someone into I'm investing in this, I'm taking it right. seriously. And then I'm sort of as part of that exchange, I'm coming out with a credential or completion. I uh, quick Google here has the four year graduation rate for students attending public colleges and universities is 33 to 36%, depending on the, the year of the study. The six year rate is 57.6% at private colleges and universities. The four year graduation rate is 528 and 65.4 for a six-year uh, completion. So uh, not near those Coursera numbers, but numbers to keep track of uh, for sure as we move forward. Uh, a couple of different government studies cited here on uh, capex.com to cite them directly who had the statistics. Uh, great discussion. I had plenty still to come here from the meager report. I'm sure as the year goes on, we will come back to this and we'll cite it on different episodes as we roll forward here on Trending in Education. Anything you see, let us know over on Twitter at Trending in Ed, things you think that are education or learning adjacent that maybe we didn't cover in episode one or episode two here specifically on learning. We'd love to hear from you all. Same on Facebook. Trending in Ed there as well, and it's trendingineducation.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, across all the different podcasting apps. Leave a rating, leave a comment. Would love to read them here on the podcast in the future. With that said, thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education. 